Hello, welcome to the Electric Text Podcast. I'm here with Gina and Kim. I'm Vignesh. Those of us on the fourth floor of this English department building have a running joke that we can never be moved into the fifth floor office because to do so requires that one pass a test on Heidegger and that the thought of taking this test causes us considerable anxiety. Here, talking about anxiety today, or about angst, are Gina and Kim. Okay. So, I'm Kim. And I'm Gina. And we are speaking to you from the fifth floor office in the English Department building at 244 Green Street in New York City. And because we are on the fifth floor office, we have already passed the Heidegger test. So, there is no need to worry. Naturally. Naturally. <laughs> and we are going to tell you all about Heidegger and what he thinks about anxiety and why he's crazy and wrong and also probably right and uh, we're also going to hear some stuff about affect theory and sort of their relationship uh, between affect and phenomenology so um, yeah and we're going to hear a little tiny bit about Freud but not a ton and we'll talk a little bit about psychology yes and forewarning uh, you can't talk about anxiety I find without talking about your own anxieties so I'm sure we'll we'll be be talking about our our own neuroses a bit Um, so fair warning yes fair warning indeed yeah and um, I'm going to start with the affective definition and I'm taking this definition of anxiety from Eugenie Brinkema's book, The Forms of the Affects, which was published by Duke University Press in 2014. Um, and so she's been talking about anxiety at this point in, in the book for um, a bit, and, and she sums it up in the following. Anxiety has been described in the preceding chapters as the structure and process of the difficult movements of form, a churning mise-en-scene in which, in the end, nothing but the place will have taken place. Thus, although anxiety involves the futurity of the future, it is a future humiliated by its insufficiency, exposed in the horror that what its form brings forth is not enough. And so... I think that this, for me, not only captures a bit of the personal and, I suppose, affect experience of anxiety, but also leads really naturally, I think, into Heidegger and uh, the the sense of the place, right? The, the place um, where nothing will be there except for the place, right? Um, so... And- yeah. Uh, so Heidegger, what Heid- what Brinkema calls place, Heidegger calls world. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I think maybe first, before we get there, um, it might be useful to define affect, because that's a term that gets thrown out in academic circles a lot, um, and it's one that I am always confused by, and it maybe even makes me anxious. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I... 
I've dealt with a lot of anxiety around this term <laughs> affect as well. Um, and I generally am not someone that distinguishes so distinctly between affect and emotion. Uh, but that's because I also don't distinguish between emotions that are felt and emotions in others or emotions that are to be read. And I think this is why I gravitate towards Eugenie Brinkema's definition of affect, which is essentially that affects can be read for and need to be read for. Um, so in the sort of shortest um, you know, response is that affects are forms. Um, and this would more, I guess, align with sort of a Sylvan Tompkins view of affect in the sense that affect is, the, is can be read in the facial expressions, right? So when one is ashamed, they put their head down. Um, so okay. these are things that are outward symbols, if you will, that, that can be read. That's also the definition of affect that was in my partner Will's medical textbooks. Okay. So he had... I thought it was actually quite amazing that um, on, like, the day he was learning about affect, there was a big picture in the book that had... It was a big picture composed of all these little pictures, and it was this guy just making a, all these different facial expressions, and it was a whole page, and they were, like, big textbooks, and it was a whole page of different affects, right. is what it said. And they were just different, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. But I think that there's something to be said for that in the in the sense of um uh the affect is from the thing that's affecting you right so it would make sense that affect you could look for affect in something like a reaction right and how, and and we read reactions yeah. as we read facial expressions of any nature so um yeah so that's sort of the working definition at least my own working definition yeah. and what i'll be referencing um but yeah it's it's a confusing sort of theory and topic yeah. um but it's uh what you just said i thought was really useful um the thing about uh because we're going to be talking about this in relation to anxiety the um question of what affects you um so uh Heidegger might say that uh, anxiety appears like things from the outside world are affecting you, but really it's it's about sort of relation and inner relationship. Or I don't know. Heidegger does not use these words; he uses very complicated and obtuse-sounding German words. Uh, however, I'm going to use words that sound like American self-help words to describe <laughs> Heidegger, which will probably get me shot by some Heideggerians. Um, however, <laughs> that's an anxiety <laughs> we'll have to table for the moment. Uh, uh, Heidegger is talking about uh, one's inner self being uh, okay. So one Dasein being sort of the source of anxiety rather than the the things in the world that one might be anxious about. Right. And so it's a question that I think we'll be asking this in this podcast is is sort of what causes anxiety? Is it something from without or something from within? Right. And I think that a sort of natural place to go then before we get too deeply into either affect theory or um, 
you know, Heidegger's phenomenology is Freud, right? And, and sort of thinking about the source of anxiety, right? And, and the cause of anxiety in a psychoanalytic or... Yeah, and anxiety is one of the main symptoms or disease patterns that's, that he ascribes to the hysterics under his treatment, at least. Um, there's, they often have something he calls anxiety neuroses, right? Um, and so this is, a, this is a quote that comes from Freud's first paper on anxiety neurosis, which was published in 1895. Um, and it's talking about the distinction between realistic and neurotic anxiety. So what he says is, the psyche is overtaken by the affect of anxiety if it feels that it is incapable of dealing by an appropriate reaction with a task, a danger, approaching from outside. In neuroses, it is overtaken by anxiety if it notices that it is incapable of allaying a sexual excitation that has arisen from within. Thus, it behaves as though it were projecting this excitation to the outside. The affect and the corresponding neurosis stand in a firm relation to each other. The former is the reaction to an exogenous excitation and the latter to an analogous endogenous one. So what Freud is saying is that uh, the ordinary version of anxiety, what he's calling the affect of anxiety here, and the um, you know neurotic version of anxiety, the version of anxiety that would require psychoanalytic treatment, are uh, very strongly related to each other. And what the difference between them is, is that realistic, ordinary anxiety is a reaction to something occurring outside the self, and neurotic anxiety is a reaction in relation to something within the self. Um, and this is actually, it relates quite well to what Heidegger says, um, in, but in a different way. Heidegger makes a similar distinction, but it's in terms of the distinction between fear and anxiety. Although Heidegger probably isn't, I don't know, maybe he's reading this. This is when? 1895, Heidegger, we said that Heidegger and Freud are roughly contemporaries, which roughly. is kind of interesting. But yeah. Heidegger, Heidegger uh, makes the point of sort of denigrating a psychology. But um, uh, Heidegger is born in, what, 1889? So this is published when he's very small. <laughs> uh, but you know, Heidegger was a precocious child. So. <laughs> Anyways, never mind yes, that. that that's so, what I was going to say about this um, this important quote is that um, to me it seems like the the neuroses end is almost a fear of the inappropriate reaction to normal oh, anxiety. Interesting. Right, that it's it's not that the neuroses comes from thinking that everybody else sees what's inside, right? That somehow you've been turned inside out, and so the response, right, is to 
um, to, to, to go back, right. To turn away, to, to crawl back into oneself. Um, and this to me seems like the anxious state, right. Um, and so much like with always my, my reading of melancholia, right. Is that it's, it's more than, uh, it's, it's different, but it's also an exaggeration. It's also a, um, made worse by the fact that it's recognized as abnormal, right? So that, although that's kind of, it's interesting because the flipping oneself inside out that you're describing, which I agree is definitely, um, it's definitely an aspect of just sort of my phenomenological, whatever, affective relationship with anxiety. Um, It's kind of the opposite of what Freud's saying here. He's saying that, um, so you have a sexual excitation, right, Mm. that's coming from within, and then you're, but in order to avoid thinking about that, the way that your um, psyche deals with it is that it pretends that it is a danger outside the self, right? So it, it projects this excitation to the outside. Something's coming from outside at me. It's not that I'm horny, but that someone's coming to rape me, um, right? Right, right. I, I think that's the sort of hysterical anxiety that Freud's ah, talking okay. about. Ah, okay, interesting. Um, but, but, you're, but I think you're also right in that, um, that, the, the, that I think it... it there's there's a weird flipping of the inside out here that that like the um, that the hysteric or the person with uh, neurotic anxiety experiences. Sure, sure. Because I, I mean, perhaps it's what you just said about his sort of thinking towards the hysteric plus maybe what a little a little bit of how I'm reading it as well. Like um, because it it seems to me that I mean it's just this idea that it's when that anxiety occurs when the neuroses, um, or when the when the per- when the person recognizes that um, their inside might be on the outside, so mm. to speak. Right? It's a reaction toward to that. Yeah, and the the part about dealing by an appropriate reaction, um, it the, so. The psyche is overtaken by the affect of anxiety if it feels that it is incapable of dealing by an appropriate reaction with a task, a danger approaching from the outside. So that um, there is a fear of like, there's a, f- a fear of displaying incorrectly or something. It, like yes. it, It's about affect in a way. It's, yeah. a, it's a fear of like not having the appropriate reaction to what's going on. Right. Which is, which is like a pretty, I think that's kind of what social anxieties are absolutely, about, right? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yes. Like the fear of not performing the right affective response to the situation. Yeah. yeah, so this is exactly, yeah, this is exactly what, um, how I read the, this mm-hmm. passage. And, um, I think then, yeah, we're back into then reading, right? And being able to read um, objects and people in your 
space, right? right? And being able to react to them accordingly. It's almost a sort of, um, if you know, if we could uh, stick with the sexual, yeah. you know, part of this, um, it, it would be, a, it, you know, it's performance anxiety. That's exactly yeah. what it is, right? It's the the sense of not being able to live up to or being able to perform in the way that's expected of you. Yeah. And um, so one of the other things that I read about Freud, um, about Freud's idea of anxiety is that he thinks he originally thought that anxiety in neurotic women was caused by coitus interruptus, right? <laughs> which, which sounds, which it sounds exactly like that performance failure thing, yeah, right? right? Like right. it's kind of this, it's like, it's right there with like, um, you know, erectile dysfunction and stuff and the, sure. like, not sort of the sex not going right. Yeah, right. <laughs> or, like, um, I mean, actually, Freud said something slightly more clever, which is, like, it's, in the woman, it's a great fear of pregnancy, right? Because that's why they're doing the coitus interruptus. Yeah. And in the man, it was a fear of, I don't know what, <laughs> not <laughs> achieving his full pleasure or something. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, Anyways, I forget, where were we going with this? Well, the, the sense of uh, interruption or um, some sort of failure to meet expectations uh, yeah. seems to be a part of the neuroses yeah. um, that does not seem to be the sort of anxiety as Freud defines it, which he's defining it more as a very sort of, I would say, a primitive fear response. Yeah. Um, and so we should talk about the distinction between anxiety and fear, um, because that's a thing that Heidegger is interested in, and that's sort of the distinction he sets up that parallels um, the distinction that Freud is making between neurotic anxiety and uh, normal realistic anxiety. Sure. Um, so we should go to Heidegger then. Do you think that's okay? Yeah, I think that makes sense. Okay. So um, Heidegger makes this distinction between anxiety and fear um and um this is coming this is a quote from being in time um heidegger's magnum opus and um this is the translation by john mcqueary and edward robinson um which is published by harper perennial um copyright 1962 okay Here's what Heidegger has to say, and this is in, if you want to look it up in your Heidegger, this is in section 40. Okay, so, our interpretation of fear as a state of mind has shown that in each case, that in the face of which we fear, that in the face of which we fear is a detrimental entity within the world, which comes from some definite region, but is close by, and is bringing itself close, yet might stay away. In falling, and falling is uh, falling is akin to anxiety. There, he he, these terms I think he uses kind of interchangeably. Um, anyways, falling is related to anxiety. Falling is like the motion of anxiety. In falling, docile turns away from itself. That in the face of which. It thus shrinks back, must, in any case, be an entity with the character of threatening. Otherwise, it wouldn't shrink back. Yet, this entity has the same kind of being as the one that shrinks back. The entity that one is afraid of 
and the one that shrinks, the entity that shrinks back, they are both docile. So Heidegger says it is docile itself. That in the face of which it thus shrinks back cannot be taken as something fearsome, for anything fearsome is always encountered as an entity within the world. The only threatening which can be fearsome and which gets discovered in fear always comes from entities within the world. Okay, so you can only fear real things that are out there. This we might take issue with Heidegger. However, you, when you are anxious, are anxious about yourself, your inner being, your fundamental core, your Dasein. Dasein is anxious about Dasein. Dasein is never anxious about anything else but Dasein. Okay, so this is, and this is why anxiety is the sort of pathway that Heidegger uses to get to Dasein in being in time. Okay. Yes. Um, what do you think? Yeah. Okay, so reaction number one is this, I, I, I want to probe more in this sense of fallen. Okay. And I know that this is very important to Dasein as, yeah. as a sort of, as his whole theory. So I want to get, I want to get to it. I was going to go to, um, cadere, which is Latin for fall, okay. which is where we get, or it's Latin for two fall, right? The, yeah. the infinitive cadeo, I fall, which is where we get cadaver mm -hmm. or the, oh, or death, or death yeah. or the corpse, right? Or the object, yeah. whatever you want to pick your signifier there. Okay. Um, but if we read that then as anxiety a type of as a type of fallenness um as a type of get... i think anxiety like the action of anxiety the 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 like if anxiety is a motion it is falling mm -hmm. so like what happens in anxiety is falling away from docin which would be death right Quite possibly, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So clearly what we are anxious about, what Heidegger is anxious about, is dying. Yeah. We're all anxious about dying. We're gonna die. We know that we're gonna die, but we don't like it. Yes. Right, and so we and so we must um hang on to objects as we go down. Yeah. Right? And and that's actually it's really good. I don't agree that Heidegger is like saying that he's anxious about death, but I think that you're right that Heidegger is anxious about death. And I think that, that that's also exactly what he says. Like, I think you're, I think you've got, you're seeing what Heidegger doesn't see in what he's saying. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so what does that say about grabbing me? The, grabbing the objects as we go down is exactly what he's saying. So, so that the, um, the other thing he says is that, um, the, the sort of falling motion of anxiety involves a turn from away from Dasein towards things in the world. But we're not anxious about any particular thing in the world. So here Heidegger would disagree with Freud, but um, because Freud says you can be anxious about specific things, right? Little Hans is anxious about horses and also really anxious about his penis. Okay, we're all really anxious about our genitals. Anyways, um, what Heidegger says is that you're not anxious about specific real things in the world. You're not anxious about things that are ready to hand. In fact, you're anxious about nothing. 
and your anxiety comes from nowhere and that you're anxious actually about the nothing and the nowhere, which means you're anxious about everything. Right. And the, the ultimate, right, ang- the ultimate extreme of this, the ultimate anxiety would be to reach out and get no objects. Right. Right. And, and, but also, and that, so you turn away from the Dasein towards the world to, and towards these objects. And it's the same as the grabbing onto the objects as you go down, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same as like, I don't know, my mother refinishing her basement when she was dying of cancer. Like you grab the material things, mm-hmm. the things in the world, because you know you're about to leave the world because you're falling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's, yeah, so this is, yeah, all about death. <laughs> oh, poor Heidegger. Uh, He's anxious about dying. He's really anxious about it. Yeah, we should get him some clonopin. But he wants to work through it, is the thing. Yes. Right? Um, because he would say that that turning towards yeah. the objects, right, is sort of a crutch. Yeah. Right, that yeah. it keeps you from yeah. Dasein, yeah. Um, and yet the thought of Dasein itself is almost anxiety-producing. Yeah, right? I mean, it's kind it's, of like... Well, it is anxiety-producing, yeah. right? That's what it is. It's yeah, and it's th- revealed through anxiety. Yeah. But I know I, the thing about Dasein turning away from itself, it makes me think of like like turning away from the face of God, right? Because it's too... Because you can't look at it. Right. Um, which... Like, this is the sort of the theological stuff that I think is sort of undergirding a lot of Heidegger's thinking. Sure. That it's, and it's maybe just in a sort of metaphorical way, but it always irks me a little bit. Well, yeah. Like the fourfold and shit, like. Right, and I suppose saying that he's anxious about death is just another way of saying he's, you know, anxious about religion, I suppose, in some yeah. way. You know, the, the this sort of Dossine turning away from itself, but also towards itself because it's this sort of all-encompassing thing is right. quite um, Hegelian in its dialectic and, yeah, um, well, yes, <laughs> naturally. Student, naturally. Yeah. And, um, and is also quite religious. Yeah. So... Or at least theological. Yeah. Now that we have worked through a little bit of affect theory, a little bit of psychoanalysis, and a little bit of Heidegger's brand of phenomenology, we might try to want to think about how these things apply to the world that we live in. Sure. The world is such, the world as it is, the world that we are inhabiting in 244 Green Street. On the fifth floor. On the fifth floor. After the Heidegger test. After the Heidegger test, yes. Um, Grad school is a very anxious place. Lots of people have anxieties not just caused by coitus interruptus here. Right. Um, But I think performance anxiety, for sure. That's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so... um, Can you have a generalized anxiety... An anxiety that is about everything. I mean, I think Heidegger. According thinks, to my psychiatrist, you can. Yeah, uh, I think according to Heidegger too. Heidegger thinks that that's the only kind of anxiety, in fact. Right, right. Because uh, my my yeah, because my psychiatrist likes to say that I like to make up stories for myself to believe in, okay. which I think is probably the most apt definition of uh, 
of anxiety (laughs) that I can. That's amazing, actually. Yeah. That you make up stories for yourself to believe in. So, in fact, anxiety is like a creative mode of, like, I don't know. Oh, absolutely it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, so it's it's uh, it's the way it's it's I like to think of it I like to think of my anxiety as my my own personal torture chamber okay where I can um, get as freaky as I like with myself <laughs> okay you know like I can sort of like you and your docile yeah I can I can sort well I can sort of beat myself I mean it's it's all quite I'm I'm a lapsed Catholic if no one can but I like oh. to sort of um, you know my anxiety likes to beat myself up. Yeah. Right. It's, and it likes to think of new ways of doing it. It's never satisfied with, you know, so I need to get more creative. Maybe this angle is a bad one. We know that we are anxious, right? Yeah. Um, do we want to know why? Or do do we we already know why? (laughs) We might already know why. Um, but that's maybe the question is not sort of like, we know we are anxious, and we know some things about anxiety. But, like, also maybe everyone is anxious, right? That's a big... It's, like, a big deal in America to say one has stress and anxiety now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in the world, right? Yeah. Um, maybe capitalism is making it I was anxious. just about to say, like... We, okay, it's just... Is it the modern capitalist It's It's neurotic, the condition of, like, like, capitalism. We figured it out. No, I don't know. No, it's true. Income inequality and docile are not friends. Okay, no, but that might actually point us back to um, to the idea Freud's idea of realistic anxiety, which is closer to what Heidegger calls fear, right? And those are like anxieties that have a real source in the world. They're not just paranoia. Right. They're not, or they're not just neurotic anxiety. They're not just sort of about suppressing an, uh, like something from within, a fear that we have about not performing adequately or something. Yeah. I would say effectively they have recognizable forms. Yeah. Um, and that those forms belong to the, like, real economic situation of our contemporary world right yeah that there are like real things to be worried about when someone is worried about receiving adequate health care in america that's because we have a system that does not necessarily provide everyone with adequate health care and maybe it should like that's part of the like there are real things to be worried about right and when one is worried about not being able to pay one's bills it's because one might not be able to pay one's bills, and then there are real consequences. Right. So. Yeah. So those are real anxieties. Yeah. We'll say. Now, what would be the neurotic of that? Well, so, so maybe what I'm suggesting is that the sort of neurotic anxieties that we have, those things that feel like personal anxieties are in fact like reflections of external socio-cultural economic anxieties sure. that have been internalized. So, anxiety could be the curse of the neoliberal condition. Yes. Right? 
that it's the the fear of not reacting appropriately or responding appropriately or um yeah yeah no that's exactly right so the like the example i was going to give is that you fear a social situation and you drink too much because you fear performing your class inappropriately or performing your gender inappropriately right right right. or assuming something about someone else's gender that's right or reading reading wrong reading someone else reading incorrectly yeah um and those are actually things that are tied to a larger system of control um that we are right to be anxious about that exactly that are not that in fact, we shouldn't be suppressing these anxieties. We should be acting upon them and changing the world that we live in. Yes. Okay. So we are not telling you not to be anxious. The things that are keeping you up at night are real things in the world, and you should go solve them, yes. okay? It's the only way to alleviate the anxiety. And, and get, find your Dasein. <laughs> On that note, uh, just like our previous podcast, we will end with revolutionary fervor. The Electric Text was created by our cohort, Anna Moser, Berenger Ryu, Chad Hagelmeyer, David Sugarman, Owen Quinn, Gina Dominic, Kimberly Adams, Ruby Lowe, Penelope Myers, and Vignesh Sridharan. This episode includes the voices of Vignesh Sridharan, Gina Dominic, and Kimberly Adams. Kimberly Adams edits our audio and runs our website. Our theme music is composed by Owen Quinn. The Electric Text is supported by the English Department at NYU. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website, electrictext.net. That's electrictext, all one word, dot net. You can also reach us by email at electrictext at gmail.com. That's electrictext spelled with two X's. E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C-T-E-X-X-T at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to hearing from you. Books really are amazing. Well, that's all for now. We'll catch you next time on the NYU English Graduate Students Podcast. So what the fourth floor doesn't realize is that we also have a test on marks. Okay. Index cards are how your country has won at capitalism. <laughs> <laughs>